Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Psalm 31.5 Welcome to the Into Your Hand podcast with Brendan and Wesley. Today we are discussing the Sabbath Bible study for February 13th, 2021. This quarter is entitled Isaiah. This week's lesson is Defeat of the Assyrians. The memory verse this week is found in Isaiah 37, verse 16. O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. A special thank you to Fountain View Academy for giving us permission to share their music ministry with you. Links to Fountain View Academy are in the description. God bless you all. Father, we come before you seeking guidance and wisdom. We are at your mercy. May your spirit change our hearts and minds. Take our hearts. They are yours. Keep us pure for you. Thank you for your fatherly care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good to gather once again. Our lesson today is defeat of the Assyrians. And our memory verse once again, this is taken from the New King James Version. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. 
And when I read that verse between the cherubim, I think of the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels on either side, and above the most holy place, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. God at the center of the camp, above the tabernacle, above the most holy place, above the Ark of the Covenant, above the law of God, central to all things in the most important place, represented there by day, by a pillar of cloud, and by night, by fire. Was God with the people of Israel? Was he with Judah? He worked and he strived for his people in which he loved. But it was a hard road that they walked. And their interaction with the kings of Assyria, as we've been studying, have been difficult. As Ahaz aligned himself with Tiglath-Pileser III and did not trust God, even when God called upon him to ask God for a sign, he would not do so. Now we see the son of Ahaz take power of Judah. So Hezekiah is the new king of Judah, and Assyria is still vying for control of the region, control of Judah, and namely to overtake and overthrow the city of Jerusalem. Tell us more about what is happening to Jerusalem because of Assyria, Wesley. We're going to see in this lesson that Sennacherib is the new king of Assyria, and because of the new king, uh, Hezekiah thinks that they can rebel, they can stop paying tribute, and uh, the people at this time are still quite idolatrous, uh, they're still divided, they have the Lord in the temple, they, they have the temple ceremonies, but they still have the, the groves and the other gods that they worship throughout the countryside. But Hezekiah was more faithful, much more faithful than his father, and was willing to turn to God when necessary. Let's read some here in the scriptures, uh, the story that we're going to pick up here. Um, so to give you a point, uh, kind of an overview, at the time, the Chaldeans, the pa Babylonians, are servants of Zennacherib and the Assyrian king. Ephraim and Manasseh and the northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed some years before. Syria, Israel's neighbor, uh, rebelled against the king and was destroyed. And so now Sennacherib is king and Hezekiah has defied Sennacherib thinking, okay, Sennacherib is a new king. He's weak. He's going through political problems. He, I don't have to pay tribute anymore. But Sennacherib is like, no, I've got this huge army and you're going to do what I say. So he comes and I'm going to pick it up. Uh, we're going to read some Bible verses here. I'm going to start with Isaiah 36 verse one says, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Zennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. 2 Kings 18, 13. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Zennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. So these verses are showing us that, that Jerusalem is being surrounded. 
Second Chronicles 32.1, after these acts of faithfulness, Zennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. Second Chronicles 32 continues. Now, when Hezekiah saw that Zennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem, he decided with his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. So many people assembled and stopped up all the springs and the streams which flowed through the region, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and rebuilt all the wall that had been broken down and erected towers on it and built another outside wall and strengthened the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in great number. He appointed military officers over the people and gathered them to, to him in the square at the city gate and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Zennacherib is coming. He has taken many of the fortified cities. And, you know, when you're doing siege warfare, it takes time. So Jerusalem had some time to prepare as Zennacherib was sieging these other cities. Sunday's lesson says, if Hezekiah trusted the Lord so much, why did he put forth so much effort on his own? Did his works negate his faith? Philippians 2, 12 and 13 say, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The question here, uh, again, Brendan, is like, what is this work that Hezekiah is doing and how does it work with the faith that we have? Right at the end of uh, Sunday's lesson, it says he increased the security of Jerusalem's water supply. And we, you were telling us about that, how he not only secured the water supply coming into Jerusalem, but he also stopped up the wells and the springs that were available outside of the city so that uh, Sennacherib's troops wouldn't have easy access to a water supply. So it would make the siege more difficult for them. There's a great quote from Prophets and Kings, but the king of Judah had determined to do his part in preparing to resist the enemy and having accomplished all that human ingenuity and energy could do, he assembled his forces and had exhorted them to be of good courage. So. We have this quandary in some people's minds. Should it be of our acts or of faith alone? And when the answer is yes, should we act faithfully and should we have faith in God? And the answer is yes. If our acts of faith are based on the faith that we proclaim, they're congruent, they're synchronous. And I think that that's the position in which we as Christians need to take. When it comes to an issue, say, of personal sin, if we come to the cross of Christ, we bow humbly and, and submit ourselves before Christ and say, 
I have this sin in my life and I want it gone. I want to be free from this sin. Is it a bad thing to take practical steps to resist and avoid temptation in our life when it comes to that sin? It's not. It's our position to take every act of holiness that we can to overcome. And by his spirit within, we overcome. Now, this is a situation not of a personal sin, but of a a situation in which an entire kingdom, God's kingdom of Judah, is about to be overrun. And we see a king, Hezekiah, acting in faith and in practical matters simultaneously. And I think that's a great position for him to take. What he did was in line with a true faith in God. What is your take on what he did, Wesley? I like it. I, I think it's important that we put forth some sort of effort and know that God is going to make up the difference. We should work with that faith. We should not work. We shouldn't ignore the faith. Right. It should be a combination like, okay, there's something I can do. I'm going to walk with the Lord and do that. And whatever I can't do is up to the Lord. Right. And exactly. I don't I don't think God is looking for faithful couch potatoes. I'm not I, I don't think he's at all impressed with that. Someone who says, I believe you're going to do everything and I am determined to do absolutely nothing. We see the people of faith throughout the scriptures and and even recorded afterwards like in for instance in the book Fox's Book of Martyrs, very faithful Christians. People willing to take their faith to the most extreme level, to take the gospel to the far ends of the earth to put their life on the line and to give up their life itself and never to deny Christ. So we see Christians acting in faith, not just declaring their faith, but acting in faith even unto death. And I think that that's what God calls us to, an extreme faith in which we're willing to give up everything for the cross of Christ. Uh, It reminds me of a story before Martin Luther there was a man who was burned at the stake and his friend was arrested very quickly after. And his friend was put before the same tribunals and the same councils and the same judges and whatnot. And he had been put in prison for a while. And so he came out and he kind of recanted. And after spending some more time in solitary confinement, he recanted again. And he was like, you know, my friend has gone to the stake, and uh, I should not have recanted when I did. And so he went back to the council. He got out of his jail. He went back to the council, and he said, you know, that what I said the other day, the month ago, the week ago, I changed my mind. I'm ready to go. And he went, and they burned him at the stake also. And it just makes me think about, like, the decision-making process of – you know, having the courage to stand for Christ. Um, let's go on to the next lesson, the Monday's lesson. Um, I'm going to read here uh, two accounts of basically the same thing. Um, maybe there's some differences and very similar. And the first one is Second Chronicles 32, 9 to 19. And it says, after this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem while he was besieging Lachish with all his forces with him against Hezekiah, king of Judah, and against all Judah 
who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you are remaining in Jerusalem under siege? Is not Hezekiah misleading you to give yourself over to die by hunger and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before one altar and on it you shall burn incense? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands? Were the gods of the land, nations of the lands able at all to deliver their ha land from my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations which my fathers utterly destroyed who could deliver his people out of my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you like this and do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? His servants spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to insult the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of the lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. They called this out with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them so that they might take the city. They spoke of the God of Jerusalem as the gods of the peoples of the earth, the work of man's hands. Also, Isaiah 36, 2-20 states, And the king of Assyria sent... Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah with a large army, and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the fuller's field. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the king, great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence that you have? I say your counsel and strength of the war are only empty words. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So. Is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him? But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar? Now therefore come again, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you two thousand horses, if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim and Shebna and Joah 
said to Rabshakeh, Speak now to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Judean, in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words, and not to the men who sit on the wall, doomed to eat their own dung and drink of their own urine with you? Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice to Ju in Judean and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me, and eat each of his vine and each of his fig tree, and drink each of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and a new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the, sorry, has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Zepharavim? And when have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand? And the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from my hand? This is a very nice story to remember. He is very much, as the lesson on Monday says, propaganda. This is not Zennacherib. Uh, Zennacherib is at Lachish, and this is Rabshakeh talking to the people in Judean, in the language of Judah. The lesson asks us the question, have you ever been in a similar situation where from a human standpoint all seemed lost? Do you have any comments, Brendan, on this passages and this question? Well, just in a parallel manner, Satan really tries to discourage us in a similar type of way, doesn't he? Uh, bringing up our faults, our weaknesses, our failures from the past, and keeping our eyes diverted from God on high who's there to save us. Mm -hmm. Right at the end of uh, Monday's lesson, and it has one question. Would he and could he save them? Yes, God could and he would and he did. And God can and he will in our lives as well if we keep our sights set on him. But Satan is always that constant nagging discouragement. Unfortunately, sometimes he is speaking in the Judean language to us. Mm -hmm. There are sometimes those even amongst our own brethren who will discourage us or divert us in some way. And, mm. and, and sometimes they don't even realize what they are doing. They want us to put our trust in worldly leaders, in worldly systems, in man-made salvations of a small or great kind and divert our eyes from God's way. So we need to be careful. And for those who are deceiving us unknowingly, we need to reach back to them with the good news 
that God is giving us a salvation that sometimes we have a hard time comprehending how great it is. God has set before us a way of life and a way of health. We need to be wary that sometimes even the very elect have been deceived. It's difficult to stand against the flow and it's difficult to reach back to those who have a seemingly good intention but are mistaken. We need to dig deep. We need to have a full understanding. We need to stand upon real health principles. And we need to stand on biblical principles when it comes to issues of ethics, of morality, of faith, and not compromise one iota. Let's move ahead to Tuesday's lesson. Uh, Yes. So on Tuesday's lesson, uh, is the response. What does Hezekiah do to Rabshakeh's propaganda, Rabshakeh's announcement, his message to the people on the wall? And for that, we read Isaiah 36, verse 21, through most of chapter 37. And it says, But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim and the son of the son of Helkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joha, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he, came, he sent Hilkiah, who was over the household, with Shebna, the scribe and the elders of the priest covered with sackcloth to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, rebuke and rejection for children have come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord, your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria has sent to to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord, your God, has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servant of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. When he heard them say concerning Turkhaka, king of Cush, he has come out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So you will be spared. But did the gods of those nations, which my fathers have destroyed, delivered them, even Goshan and Haran and Razaf and the sons of Eden, who were in 
Telazar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sapharavim, and of Hena and Ava? Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Zennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the works, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. The lesson says, what aspects about God does he focus on in his prayer? What principle do we see in this prayer and can give us encouragement and strength to stay faithful in our own personal crises? I think that God's faithfulness to us and his persistence, that loving persistence is one characteristic that is so encouraging. We see that through so many generations of Israel and Judah, uh, how he saved them and drew them back and called them back and sent his prophets. He didn't give up on them. Even in those times of discipline, even in those times where he withdrew, the kingdoms fell to, the kingdoms came apart in part. Uh, there were those of the remnant that were exiled to Babylon. He was with those remnant. He reestablished the kingdom. The walls were rebuilt. Everything came back together. So we often think of a flower in bloom as the only time a flower is a flower. But the roots are essential. The stem must be strong. The leaves must be many. The bud must be there. The flower may be open. It may be pollinated. And the process starts again. Now, he's wanting the Garden of Eden for his remnant people. I'm not saying that God is wanting us to fade away and to have to be replanted constantly. It's not... Um, it's not a reincarnation of faith, but he's willing to go through that process of replanting. He did that for the people of Judah and Israel. He does that for us when we fail, when we fall upon our knees in confession. He's ready to forgive us, to lift us up, to walk with us, and to guide us in the way. But he's wanting a Garden of Eden of faith in our lives that is perpetual that the flowers are always in bloom and for him to be the light of love in our lives. Yes. These, some of these prayers in the scriptures, the, it's nice to kind of emul emulate them sometimes. And 
it's so important. I, I think it brings me back to reading the scriptures more often and being reminding myself of these lessons and these prayers and these patterns and the faith that it nurtures. When we're reading the scriptures, we have a faith that is nurtured. And when we are in a difficult time, we can draw on these couple of prayers, these various prayers in the script Bible that we can emulate and pray for our, in our distress and uh, pray for peace uh, in the time of trouble and pray for the, the, the calming of the oceans. And to do so in the name of the Lord, in the defense of the Lord, like here, Rabshakeh and Zanacharib's messages and letters, they are directly sending reproach on the Lord that this God, we have destroyed all these gods, this God's going to be destroyed too. And it's the same, and sometimes it's in our lives also that when we're in distress, we need to have the same mindset that God is alive, that He's actively involved, and delay our difficulties at the feet of Christ and do the what we can do, like Hezekiah, who did what he could do, but he did it in faith and he laid everything before the Lord. And I, I it just like the humility and the meekness and the tears and the agony to just lay everything at the Lord and say that, you know, I'm your child and you want me to learn of you. And this situation is you know, harming, is this situation harming your gospel and your truth? Lay our difficulties at the feet of the cross. And uh, if we need to cry, cry. If you're having a problem, you're you're a small child and you're having a problem, you go to your mom and dad in tears. You don't wipe your tears away. Oh, okay, I got to be okay. And then you go up to your mom and dad and go, I have a problem. You know, no. (laughs) Um. The uh, concept that Enoch looked into his son's eyes and saw the utter helplessness of that child to survive without its father. And for us in our difficult times, and even in our good times, we need to understand how desperately we need the father to teach us, to guide us, to, to be our shield, and for us to have the full armor of God. Amen. I like the last section on Tuesday's lesson where it says, Sennacherib had pointedly attacked Hezekiah's strongest defense, faith in his God. Rather than buckling under, Hezekiah appealed to God to demonstrate who he is so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Isaiah 37, 20. So we really see the leader of Judah acting in a faithful way. That is such an encouragement after what his father had done. Let's move on to Wednesday's lesson. Uh, one more thing about that. Um, your comment on Hezekiah's faithfulness. If the last king of Judah would have had that sort of faith, it would have been a huge change. But we know that he did not have that faith. He was scared of the leaders of the Jews. And so he, became, he was very weak and at their mercy. 
this is an example of what that king should have done. He is being faithful, and the city is rallying around that faithfulness. And this lesson is, was lost almost a hundred years later during Jeremiah's time and the true destruction of Jerusalem. Mm. Hezekiah's reaction to this situation is an example for us in, a, in, a, in some ways. On to Wednesday's lesson uh, is the end of this story. So Hezekiah has prayed in the temple and we pick up the story in Isaiah 37 verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Zennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice? And haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel. Through your servants, you have reproached the Lord, and you have said, With my many chariots, I come up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon, and I cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress, and I will go to its highest peak, its thickest forest. I dug wells and drank waters, and with the sole of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard long ago I did it? From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and as the green herb, as grass on the housetops, is scorched before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down, and you're going out, and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Because of your raging against me, and because your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose, and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Then... This shall be the sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself. In the second year, what springs from the same. And in the third year, sow, reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return, and he will not come to this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then. The angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of, of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. So Zennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. It came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that 
Adrimalak and Sharazar, his sons, killed him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Ezar Hadon, his son, became king in his place. So the once mighty king Sennacherib was brought low by the prayers and the faith of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. The one who Sennacherib called a bird in a cage in regard to Hezekiah as a prisoner in Jerusalem in his royal residence. <laughs> yeah. Yet it was Sennacherib's army, 185,000 lay dead. And Sennacherib himself killed by the hands of his own sons. Where we place our faith. I like this quote at the end of Wednesday's lesson. The God of the Hebrews had prevailed over the proud Assyrian. The honor of Jehovah was vindicated in the eyes of the surrounding nations. In Jerusalem, the hearts of the people were filled with holy joy. They saw the day of the Lord. They saw their salvation coming because their leader, their king, Hezekiah, put his faith in God above. And then right at the very end of the lesson, God kept hope alive. Yes, uh, the Messiah had to come. That's right. And when God is pushed up against the wall, not a good place to be in <laughs> if you're against him. Very good. Let's put our faith in the Lord. Amen. Our situations. Let's move on to Thursday's lesson. In sickness and in wealth, Isaiah 38 and 39. We know the story is when after Zennacherib has gone home back to Nineveh, that Hezekiah becomes sick. So we pick up the story in chapter 38 of Isaiah, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his faith face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your fathers, David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will cause the shadow in the stairway which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz to go back 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back 10 steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I will look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. As a weaver, I rolled 
up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning. Like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me. Like a swallow, like a crane, so I twitter. I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and let me live. Lo, for my own welfare I had great bitterness. It is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For soul cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to you as I do today. A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. The Lord will surely save me, for we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Chapter 39. At that time, Morodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and his whole armory and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in your store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons will, who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken is good. For he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. That's an odd response to what Isaiah told him. There will be peace and truth in my days. Well, he only has 15 years left or less than 15 years left. It is kind of a strange response, isn't it? That uh, he's, he's got less than 15 years to live. And he is just happy that his, the last few years of his life are going to be peaceful ones. <laughs> I've been thinking about what Hezekiah did and where the 
serious fault of that was. The Babylonians knew that there were treasure houses, stores of wealth in probably every kingdom that they overtook. That's not something new to them. Uh, That was part of their plan to plunder initially, but then to control continually with systems of taxation, showing tribute to the king. That's how empires work. But the greatest sin I think Hezekiah did in that regard was that of self-exaltation, of pride in what he had. Just as Nebuchadnezzar did from his rooftop, look at all that I have created, this mighty Babylon. And so soon was he literally brought to his hands and knees as a deranged animal-type man to be covered in dew and to be insane for such a time. He was brought low after he exalted himself to such an extreme way and not recognizing what God had done. So Hezekiah had just been saved from the hand of the king of Assyria, and now he opens up the treasure house. He opens up his house in a sign of pride to the representatives from Babylon. So I think that his greatest sin in that regard wasn't as much of a revelation of the wealth of the kingdom as it was as a position of self-exaltation and prideful bragging in to the Babylonians that came. Because it was quite a long time before the Babylonians eventually took over Judah. If the revelation of that wealth had been so significant to them at that time, they would have taken action immediately. But it was I don't a, think, I don't think it was a long time later before they took action. Well, I like what the Sabbath school lesson says is that the leaders of Babylon had to also overthrow the Assyrians who controlled them. And they needed uh, partners, they needed allies. And here is Hezekiah, who has just defeated the entire Assyrian army. And let, let's chat with you. Like, we need allies. I, we, you know, I want to overthrow the Assyrians' power also. And uh, so I think that's why that makes good sense why they were talking back and forth and why the, mm. the Chaldeans were wanting to talk to Hezekiah. And that make, yeah, that makes sense that their objective wasn't to take over Judah at that time. It was to be free from the Assyrian control. Yes. When you were talking about the motivations and the problem and the sin that Hezekiah performed here, something came to my mind. And that is that Hezekiah had survived with the faith and the help of God, the overthrow of the Assyrian king. Then, as death is at the door, God heals him for 15 more years. And he knows it's going to be 15 more years. He knows what year he's going to die, basically. I mean, he he knows what year. He has a certain level of security. And peace, knowing that he has this time left. And I'm wondering if we can fall sometimes into the same situation where 
we have some experience with God and we get kind of sure of ourselves. And you can think of it as another example. It's like Daniel, when Gabriel told him that he was greatly honored, that he was you know, honored in heaven. Daniel could have become very sure of himself and very, I don't know, kind of arrogant about, oh, I have this great position. You know, I'm looked highly upon in heaven. And this is kind of what Hezekiah was experiencing. You can see where that could be, where his motivation came from. Oh, I'm going to show my kingdom to these Babylonians, these Chaldeans. And the real issue is like, for us, what we what the practical point that we can take from it maybe is that when we are helped by God, when we are close to him and that we have our faith and that he has done something in our lives, not to then overthink it and become arrogant and think that we are saved or to think that we are in a, some special position, some special honored position. But we need to maintain that meekness and that humility. On Friday's lesson, there are a couple of quotes that really are great. The first quote on Friday's lesson that I'd like to read is taken from the book, Prophets and Kings. Only by the direct interposition of God could the shadow of the sundial be made to turn back 10 degrees. And this was to be the sign to Hezekiah that the Lord had heard his prayer. Accordingly, the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. And the second, taken from uh, pages 134 and 135, but pride and vanity took possession of Hezekiah's heart, and in self-exaltation he laid open to covetous eyes the treasures with which God had enriched his people. The king showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not, Isaiah 39, 2. Not to glorify God did he do this, but to exalt himself in the eyes of the foreign princes. And that's what we were just talking about, the pride the self-exaltation of Hezekiah was a great sin that he committed. And opening up that treasure house of not only the precious things like the gold and the silver, but even the armory to really reveal all that was behind the curtain, all that God had provided them for their wealth and their safety, he revealed to the foreign princes, the future enemy. What this reminds me of, and that here are these princes coming, and he should have shown the love of God and the, the greatness of God. And, and sh- you know, he didn't need to show them the gold and the silver. He needed to show them God and be an example and, and, and witness to these people. And the same can be said for like Solomon, uh, who should have been a witness. And we can see that in the life of Jesus, who went to the byroads, the crossroads, uh, where in Galilee, the, the merchants were uh, traveling and the, the land that he was in was very well traveled. And he was, you know, everyone coming through there knew who Jesus was and found out who he was. And so this is something we need to think about in our own lives that you know, we need to be close to God. 
we need to pray for our faith to be increased and be witnesses for others and be an example, be ambassadors for, for heaven. We need to come before the Lord in humility, never to become arrogant or think that we have some high place in heaven because of something God has done in our lives, uh, to me remain meek and humble, which is what Hezekiah did not do after the great works that God did in his life. In response to the cry of a faithful king, God saved his people and showed who he is, the omnipotent king of Israel, who controls the destiny of earth. Not only does he destroy those who attempt to destroy his people, but he also provides opportunities for others, no matter how Babylonian, to become his people. I think what it's trying to say is that the Babylonians came to Hezekiah and they were so far removed into idolatry and you know they were so far removed from Israel but they had come and they needed the Lord they needed to become his people also and instead of sharing the Lord Hezekiah just showed his wealth and power you're probably right because earlier in the lesson it was talking about the 10 degrees uh, deviation in the shadow of the sundial, and that the Babylonians were very astute. They followed the movement of the planets and the stars. They were uh, astronomy, astrologers, those types of people. They, it was very important to them. So that when God provided this sign to Hezekiah, that the that those in Babylon surely noticed this massive change. And they came to the kingdom of Judah to know of a God so powerful that he has the whole universe in his hands. So Hezekiah had an opportunity, a tremendous opportunity to share the power of the creator with the Babylonian people. Mm. And yet it's like Hezekiah didn't think that it was possible so that he just showed them his power and his wealth. And do we do something similar in our workplaces or in our acquaintances? We're like, oh, this person is unreachable. I'm going to talk about God with that person. But that unreach the person that we think is unreachable, that quote-unquote Babylonian, God may have put you in that situation for a reason. And it may be because of the quote-unquote Babylonian is the one we need to be talking to and, and witnessing to everyone. And Hezekiah did not. Yeah, we need to keep that in mind. There is nothing beyond the power of God, but he's acting us to act in faithfulness. Just as Hezekiah initially prepared for the onslaught of the Assyrians against Jerusalem, and he called upon the God of heaven, at the same time, we also need to realize our place, whether it's in our workplace, friendships, family, church, or wherever, to take those opportunities and to let the power of God, the voice of God, work through us and touch the lives of those that we have influence upon. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, let us never think that a situation is beyond your control, that a person is beyond your reach, that a sin is greater then you can forgive. For you are our mighty creator, one who can turn the dial 10 degrees backwards. You can perform 
and have performed miraculous signs and wonders. You have raised the dead. You have changed the heart of man from that of stone to that of flesh and written your law upon it. We thank you for your marvelous, powerful work in our lives. And we ask you to create in us hearts that are in tune with yours and feet that walk in the way. May we be like that martyr who has the faith and the opportunity to share his faith to the dying day. But may we be also living sacrifices in these final days to draw all men and women and children to you. We look forward to your soon coming and the end of sin in this world. We thank you for the word that we get to study each week and the spirit that you have placed within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies against the foe in Thank you for listening. Please click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Bible readings taken from the NASB are copyrighted by the Lockman Foundation.